0: What would it be?
1: It is better when we help each other. We function better as a society rather than being about the individual. And if I believe that, and I do, I've got to do that in my
0: own life as well.
1: I help others and then I can get help from other people as well.
0: Content warning. This episode touches on self-harm and suicide. If you are suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Fiona Jeffries is the founder of DivaWorks, an agency which designs and delivers sales offices for blue-chip property clients, including Stockland and Lendlease. Since launching the business in 2001 from her dining table and all of her $5,000 loan, Fiona and her team have delivered over 1,000 sales offices, being the ultimate in first impressions. Despite being an incredibly successful businesswoman who has survived the pandemic when many in her industry have not, we don't touch on any of this today. Fiona wanted to come talk to me about something completely different. She's an advocate for mental health, and she wants to share how her life changed dramatically only a few years ago after she hit the pits of despair. But it's not what happened to Fiona and how she got there she wants to talk about the important part that many stories miss, that part in between, that part of how she got out of the pit. Fiona, it is gorgeous to have you here on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I've been so looking forward to us chatting. I just love your podcast so much. That one question is just so potent, you know, to have those conversations around stuff, you know, we don't really talk about.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, I can't wait to dig into your topic today. So if there is one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be?
1: Well, I guess my focus would really be on that space between despair and hope.
0: Mm, That's an interesting topic. Why is that a topic that you would like to talk about?
1: I went through a shadow point in 2018 and I guess to, to use very specific words around that, it was a time in September, oddly enough, on R okay Day that I was thinking of ending my life. And I knew I was on the slide towards that. And I'd been looking around, you know, for other people's stories, like, how do you find something to give you hope when all hope is gone? Like, you cannot see a way out of your problems or the situation you're in. And I just couldn't seem to find anything. It just really goes from, I'm having a bad time And then suddenly, and then I got better and now I'm doing so much, you know, I'm I'm doing so many things around that to support myself. It's almost a bit like the fairy tale and fairy tales I really bristled against as kids because fairy tales were the story, the hero's journey, there was all this trouble towards the end and then they lived happily ever after. Even for me as a child, I wanted to know But, yeah, what what happens after that? Like, what happens the next day and the day after that? And, of course, I always knew as a child that things just didn't go along perfectly. Like, what did people do to get through the tough times? And so when I had my shutter point or when I was on the slide towards thinking of ending my life, I went looking for these stories and I just couldn't find it. There just seemed to be this real gap between I'm not doing so great and suddenly I'm better. There's really a place there to have a discussion around, well, what is that?
0: Yeah. Wow. Like you've just kind of floored me with, you know, (laughs) your little intro part there as well. Fiona, I was unaware of that. So how did you get there? How is it that you were at a place that you were considering ending ending your life? Like what led to that?
1: There was trauma as I was growing up in the family house. And then when I turned 30, I, I lost someone I was very close to through suicide. He'd been my partner. And after that, I probably didn't go into therapy even over that for nearly a year. And that was only on the kind of prodding of my mum saying, I don't think you're as good as you think you might be. Have you spoken to anyone about this? And back in that, it was like 2002, 2003. So certainly the internet wasn't what it was these days. There wasn't a lot of information around. So I think I just did six sessions with bereavement counselling. And yeah, then I thought, well, I'm better now. And I continued on. And so then having a business in construction where timelines are just relentless, the pressure, managing a team and growing that kind of building the plane as I was flying it, and also the type of person I am, type A personality, prone to anxiety at times, it just was a recipe for disaster. I'd been dating on and off throughout that period too. Once I got over the the shock of James's death, There was just a lot of things that I wasn't resolving. I'd been back to therapy, but I was more like ticking the box rather than doing the work. And so gradually over a period of a couple of years, I was on the slide. I wasn't telling my friends and family what was going on for me. I was just holding it tighter and tighter and just feeling more and more alone.
0: You've just talked about losing James to suicide and obviously that would have been a horrendous thing to go through and I'm sorry to hear that. How is it that you got to thinking that, that that was the answer for you? You know, you know the impact on those that are left behind. Are the, you know? How do you get to that place? Is it literally that there's no other options or you feel like there's no, yeah, like you're in complete despair?
1: It really feels like you're in complete despair. It feels so we're talking about it now because I'm very separated from that whole period um, because I don't feel like that anymore. But at the time, it just felt like the options were narrowing to be able to get out of this. You know, it had gone on for a number of years. I just couldn't see that there was any hope to getting better. The things that I was trying was, you know, trying to hang on that much tighter, try and um, show my friends when I caught up with them that I was coping and I was doing great. I was layering more and more into my schedule to keep me busy and distracted. And all of those things that I was doing was actually making me feel worse. And I think there, when you get to that part where you're considering ending your life. For me, it was a case of, I really don't think I've got this whole life thing together. I really think everyone else would kind of be better off without me around, like, or, or worrying that, am I really okay? Because they can see little glimpses or kind of cracks in the facade. And I didn't want to be seen as a failure. Like, everyone else seems to be doing life okay. Everyone else is doing adulting okay. What's wrong with me that I can't seem to pull this together?
0: Wow. So, do you think, on that note, like, you know, social media in some ways, or the openness that people have now around, show, you know, being more authentic, if that's the term you want to use, or showing the cracks or the imperfections, do you think that helps people more in that regard? Like, you know, if you'd had that. Back in those days, would you have said, oh, man, I thought she had her shit together, but she she doesn't. <laughs> so that makes me feel better. Do you think it is better or worse as well in some ways? So what's your kind of view?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think for the mindset that I was in at the time, and perhaps if there's anyone else on the system to the podcast that can relate, that is feeling very flattened by life and despairing and can't see any positives, I think you, you're so far in your own head, in your own bubble, and you're, you're taking information, but your brain is distorting it or putting it through the filter of going, you know, say, for example, you're seeing people with a very aspirational life, they're doing so well and they're doing great. Your brain sort of puts that through a filter that says, well, that's good for them, but they're not facing what I've got or, um, you know, they're, they're doing so much better at life. They, they've got it. They've kind of cracked the code. And then for people who are being authentic going, I'm really struggling at the moment, you know, I'm working through these issues. I kind of had good days, I have bad days. The filter that was being passed through my mind was a case of, well, yeah, that's a lot that they're coping with. It's almost like the the despair Olympics. Yeah, they've got a lot to worry about. I'm not that bad, you know, James died many years ago. I should be over it by now. So whatever information is coming in and you're absorbing, your brain just finds a way of saying, yes but that's not you and you still can't figure it out
0: it's an interesting kind of lens to hear about that and how you kind of navigated it so how did you dig out of this because clearly you're sitting in front of me now with a beautiful smile and looking healthy and gorgeous and so you know that didn't happen easily obviously you know and that's what you want to talk about is that bit in between so How did you dig out of that? How did you not end up, you know, taking your life that day and living a now, like, incredibly fulfilling life?
1: Yeah, it happened on the Are You Okay Day and I got to the point, I'd I'd done a a gym class again to just distract myself and they were giving away cupcakes at the end, these (laughs) hideous-looking yellow cupcakes going, Are You Okay? I'm thinking, I'm anything but okay and I cannot bear this because, again, brain and the filter that you put through things, it was, this is so out of whack with how I'm feeling. Like, is this cupcake meant to make me feel better? Anyway, walking through a park on the way home, it was just like, "Mm, no, I'm going to the hotel and um, I'm gonna end my life. And luckily I'd had my psychologist who'd been on, was going on holidays and was quite concerned how I was going, even though I just thought, "Mm, you know, I'm just not feeling great. She maybe put um, the phone number of um, the Suicide Prevention Helpline in my phone and I was walking through the park, I think just something shifted and I thought, I'll give it a try, I'll give them a call and they didn't say anything specific on that call but I think there was just a little crack in me that started feeling something which was a massive relief because I'd been feeling really nothing up until then. I was very disassociated with myself, you know, going through all the motions of, preparing my affairs, passwords, things like that in case I did take my life.
0: Wow. So you you literally were putting things in place like for a while. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, type A personality. Uh, I have to get those passwords, have to, you know, leave documents behind. Because I think I'd been through the after effects and the aftershocks of James's death, I just knew, well, there's so much admin. No one needs that. I don't want that to be a burden for any of my family. Um, So I need to put that together that's and that was probably a, a very good thing because it kept delaying that date of when i thought that's it
0: this is the end that's profound honestly i've never heard anyone explain that fiona so like one thank you for sharing your story so amazingly and as i said like literally looking at you now you just wouldn't even imagine that you've gone through this and yeah, like that. that's just profound, you know, the thought process and the things that you would do. Wow.
1: Well, thank you. And and thanks for providing this forum because hopefully if we talk more about these things that, you yeah, know, kind of polite society doesn't talk about or it's part of everyday conversation, whoever is out there that might have been in my situation, just going, yeah, but, but what do you do? can maybe get some value
0: out of this yeah and I think uh, you know mental health and well-being and stuff is such a important thing that we are talking more and more about the irony of you going to the gym that morning as well you know we go to the doctor to get other things fixed but the stigma still with anything to do with our brain which is our you know most important element of our body right it's an incredible part and we just expect that it should just work you know, without any upkeep, maintenance or anything. It's ironic, really. But sorry, continue on where you're at with this stuff. So I sort of <laughs> interrupted. No, this is really quite, good. I'm sitting here quite taken aback.
1: <laughs> Made that call to the suicide prevention line. Can't remember exactly what they said. They were very empathetic, very compassionate. And just asked them what my next plan was. And I said, I think I'm going to go and end my life. And they said, OK, but do you think maybe you could pick something else just for the next hour even? And I said, well, yeah, I've got a really good friend here in Darwin. I could just go and be with her and hang out for an hour. And I said, yeah, that's that's probably a good move. So I rang my friend Becca and went round to her place and I was with her for a few hours there and I just cried and cried. And I think Becca being the compassionate, funny, very aware person that she is, just realised I just needed time to really let it all out. And I think for the first time in a long time I just let it all go. I just cried and cried and she didn't attempt to stop me or say what's going on. She just moved in and out of the room, got me more water, got me more tissues. I think she'd had her own experiences with mental health and we talk a lot about it now as well openly about how we're going and how we're trucking. She's also very type A, she's got her own business, super successful but she has a very big heart and a lot of compassion for other people going through it and she was my safe harbour
0: in that time yeah does she know that she saved your life that day yeah she does yeah what an amazing friend to have but also for those listening you know just the way you can support someone that's going through and we don't know we don't always know how deep that despair is within you know our mates or our family and members and stuff but just being there to listen I think that's just a beautiful message for people to think about and, you know, how they can support others at a time of, you know, a huge time of need. Wow, like that's profound.
1: Yeah, you make a really good point about support. I think when we all get scared thinking if I was ever caught in that situation, what would I do? Because it's all very well to ask, are you okay? What if someone comes back with the answer, no, I'm not okay? Yeah, And it's just like, shit, I'm not a trained psychologist, I barely know first aid, what do I do? And there are some really good resources out there about being a mental health first aider. And I think one of the most important things you can do is just listen without judgment, despite what you may feel about suicide, despite, you know, maybe some of the things that you're hearing. It's just to have that presence and another human when you're in the pit of despair.
0: Mm. So what happened then? What is the things that you've kind of learned since then to navigate this space?
1: Look, firstly, it's true what they said, that there's a lot of support and help out there. That's entirely 100% correct. The key thing for me was that you can't access any of that. Like I'd been doing therapy sessions. I hadn't been getting better because I wasn't doing the work. So the first point still lands with you in that you've got to be ready to receive help and change your life from what it is that's a lot of effort when you're feeling so low but it's almost like survival kicks in but well okay maybe it isn't over yet that little spark is like okay it isn't over yet so then it just became a matter of let's just get through the next hour what do I need to do for the next hour and because I was so emotionally drained I'd work for a bit I'd lay down on the lounge for a bit i'd get up and work for a bit and that's just how i had to structure my day in going very slowly with myself it wasn't a case of all right what well how am i going to be in a month's time or how am i going to be with my business it was just like let's get through this next hour and that became a lot better than trying to think big picture from there i also got a really good support crew around me my psychologist was fantastic dr melanie but it then was also let's look at my nutrition so i tapped into a naturopath I also got some help with, you know, doing some yoga and, you know, I sort of built this support team around me as well to help me navigate these times. And it was paid help as well, which for me was somewhat easier to tap into than thinking, I don't know how to ask my friends for help because I'm worried that I'm going to be too much of a burden where if I'm paying someone, it's just like, that's great that's great. I can tap into this. That's a really good point.
0: And as a businesswoman, you pay for a service of an expert in a particular, you know, like expertise in something. You're like, you're getting the best. And it's a great point to think about, you know, what do you need? And I love your point about nutrition, you know, all the different other elements you looked at, you know, to get yourself better holistically helps with your mental health. If you eat, sugar and shit and, you know, like don't fuel your body well, you're not going to feel great, are you? No,
1: not at all. And then it was really then looking at my business because I hadn't been asking for help and it was now survivalism. I had to restructure my business. Unfortunately, that did mean a couple of people being made redundant. But the business at that stage, when there was a decline in the market, I just didn't want to do anything because I didn't want to be the bad person having to make calls. But it was a case of I've got to do this now. It's really a case of life and death i then looked at how i was living i was living isolated on the outskirts you know out of west of sydney i was away from my friends and uh, you know the things that i love to do like going to see live music and also rowing that i was doing at the time and really loving that so sold up that and my investment property in melbourne moved in closer to the city into a new apartment with beautiful views lots of sunshine felt that much more connected and i think then also I really had to have a conversation with my my family, even though it wasn't a long and laborious, but I told them that I wasn't feeling so great, but I was making commitment to do better and to get better. So every little step helps. And then continual vigilance, like it isn't a case of, oh, great, now I'm better. It's continual vigilance and knowing when I'm on a slide, like if I'm taking on too much work, if I'm not asking for help, Uh, If I haven't had proper breaks, if I'm not prioritizing myself within the great mix, I know things are starting to go down. It's then you've got to course correct. So it's if only it could be set and forget. (laughs) But I just know I've got this in me. I'm prone to it. So now it's a case of, well, it's like anything else. If you know you're prone to putting your back out when you're not locking on your core, you've got to do all of these things to make sure you remain buoyant.
0: Mm. so have you had you know a relapse with this at all in any way and having those kind of dark thoughts at any time
1: yeah look certainly nowhere like it was thinking of ending my life anxiety is now really showing up um in kind of like it to me the way i understand it for, to make to rationalize it for me it's like w- when you've had trauma and you haven't dealt with it you kick the can down the road and you think i'll deal with it later i'll deal with it later But eventually you run out of road and that has to go somewhere. So I'm still prone to panic attacks. I had one recently when I was on a walk on the Three Capes. I was there with my partner and it was just this amazing view, but I was so exposed and my body immediately went into, I can't do this, and I was shaking and just Graham's excellent he has no fear he's just very laid back he said all right well come on let me take you up to the top of the hill and just make sure you're safe and you'll be fine Up they go no 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 you go on I can get myself back up there I don't want to stop you you go told him to go out and then I spent the next hour and a half on the side of the hill kind of grabbing onto this rock convinced if I let go something bad would happen and uh, you know, Graham came back after walking out and coming back after an hour and a half, found me there and I was in quite a state and he's going, I, look, why don't you, you've got to let me help you. And it was just another good reminder that it's okay to ask for help. It is not a sign of weakness. In my mind, it's just, I don't want to stop him from enjoying this. I want this to be great. I want this to be awesome. I can do this, but I couldn't. And it's okay to ask for help. It's necessary to ask for help. We are pack animals. It is better when we help each other, we function better as a society rather than being about the individual. And if I believe that, and I do, I've got to do that in my own life as well. I help others and then I can get help from other people as well.
0: Yeah, I think your key point there about it not being a weakness, especially as a type of women in business you know, you're constantly having to look after yourself and make things happen. And you know, if you don't do it, someone else is not going to do it. And it's a tough slog, I think. So it's hard to kind of switch that on day by day in your business. And you're trying to run a successful company and then switch it off sort of in your personal life when you, as just say, you need help in some ways, but a beautiful message, you know, and a good reminder for everyone, you know, if you've got people that love you. And I think the thing that kind of reminded me many years ago that someone said to me when I was like, no, no, I'm okay. or oh, you know, I don't need to help, whatever. And they're like, let me help you. You do so much for others and you've done so much for me in my life. Like this is one part of joy that I would get to actually do this for you. And I never kind of looked at it that way. Like it's almost like it's selfish that you don't let someone help you. I know when I help others or I do things or I buy gifts or whatever, I get so much joy out of that giving. And I'm not allowing people to have that by the resistance and the pushback. It was a really good way for me to reframe it, to then yes. think about, actually, I'm holding people back this joy. And so it was, it was not about me imposing on them. It was the opposite. I was allowing them to do something beautiful and have that joy in their life, which was nice.
1: Yeah, like we all know everyone has got a full life. You don't want to add to that. But it's like anything, like there's always room to help people. And it's not a case of I've I've got to sit by your bedside for eight days solid and pat you on the head. Sometimes it's just even something quick like checking in on a text message or just saying I'm thinking of you or even just circling back after maybe hearing that they've had a tough time within a couple of days and saying, how are you? How are you doing? I'm thinking of you. Mm,
0: so true. Little things. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I was curious about, Fiona, did you go down the medication route at all as well?
1: Yeah, I definitely went on to medication. I went on to antidepressant medication and I was on that for about two years. And I only got onto that after I decided I was going to end my life. And then I got real with Dr. Melanie and said, yeah, I'm really not doing the work here. And I don't think that I'm as i'm not holding it together and i'm I'm ready to look at other solutions and and ready to look more at my behavior and my patterning and try and capture it before it starts spiraling so yeah went on to antidepressants and that was a little bit of an, an improvement but i think certainly all the other things i did underneath that that provided firmer foundations what actually did shift the needle was having a really good session with a great gynecologist because i'm 50 and this was happening what, maybe back when I was 47. You know, I hadn't been feeling also right in my body as well. And she was awesome. I went along and she said, I'm not feeling great. There's some kind of things happening here. I think I might be going in perimenopause, menopause. Oh, look, I don't know. Can you help figure it out? And um, she did blood tests. She did tests. And she came back and go look yeah you know you're certainly in perimenopause probably heading towards menopause and I just said great okay that's great see you later and she goes mm, I think you came here for a reason though didn't you to feel better and there are things that we can do to make you feel better and like menopause always seemed a long way off like it's a, a far off destination and so she suggested I go on to HRT and I thought okay all right yeah let's give it a try and so I went on to that and that had a noticeable change it just it made me feel like Fiona rather than more of a ghost like figure, a grayish version of myself. It really helped a lot. So, any female now that I come across, it's kind of in those 40 years of just like, get you, go see a gynecologist, go and get this checked.
0: Yeah, well, it's pretty easy um, in terms of having blood tests and stuff. I'm with you, I'm a big ab- advocate for it. And it's interesting how you talk, you know, like the black clouds and that you know, that sort of despair feeling and also the anxiety. I know a lot of mates that have been, you know, the panic attacks, the over anxious about the most minute kind of things. And they're like, what the hell is wrong with me? And, you know, it's hormone imbalance. Like it's that simple. That's what's going on. Like, you know, all your levels are all over the place. So, you know, and I think your point is actually, you know, get it checked out. It's not hard. Like, again, I'd advocate that because, yeah, I had a couple of blood tests and they're like, yeah, this is what's going on with you. And, so um, it's worth it. And, you know, don't keep dwelling on it and thinking the worst because actually there's real action that can be done by this and get a second or a third opinion if you're not happy with the treatment and the results and stuff as well, right? So amazing story, like just incredible. And the fact that you are continually working on this as well I think is just testament to the kind of, you know, what you've learned and your dedication to you know, having a better life. Um, so if there's one thing that you'd want to leave us with today out of all that incredible story, what else would you like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think well, something that really stuck with me was I've been mentored by Alexandra Friends, and She's become a friend and she's an excellent writer and human being. But she, she's, she wrote this blog post a number of years ago, was The Day Is Not Yet Over. And it talked about, you know, like how oh, you get to nine o'clock and you don't feel like you've done a workout You can still maybe do a plank for three minutes or maybe you do some squats as you're brushing your teeth. You might think, oh, like maybe there's an element of this in my story too that I'm in my late 40s, I'd really love a partner, but no, it's, it's probably past. The day is not yet over. So I think whatever you're going through and you think, well, you know, that's passed me by, the day isn't over. There's always a chance for something more to happen if you hang around
0: for it. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. Fiona, it has been divine to chat to you. Thank you for sharing your story so openly and honestly. And, yeah, I hope it's given some people some really good tips and pointers to think about when they are in that space between despair and hope and to help them kind of come out of that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Look, I really appreciate And value your time, Michelle, and having this forum to have these conversations. I've always loved listening to your podcast, so it's a moment for me being able to share this story and just being so lovingly held through all of that. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely divine. I'll get to see you soon. Bye. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour?